Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Attorney Shereen Middleton is the founder of Middleton Legal, a boutique law firm offering bankruptcy, real estate, and estate planning services throughout the state of Maryland. She attended college and law school in Florida before returning to Maryland to work and live, and is not only a licensed attorney in both states, but a licensed realtor as well. In 2020, Shereen was invited to membership in the prestigious, invitation-only National Black Lawyers Top 40 Under 40 organization based on her legal qualifications, performance, and leadership skills. So we are super excited to chat with Shereen today and have her on the Wealth Woman Lawyer podcast. Welcome, Shereen. Thank you so much for having me. Really happy to have you here. So why don't you give us a little bit of um, background and tell us how you came to decide to be an attorney. So I decided to become an attorney after attending school at the University of Miami. I thought that I would actually end up going to law school at UM, but I ended up being blessed with the opportunity to have a scholarship and attend school up the road at St. Thomas University in Mm -hmm. Miami Gardens. And that's where I learned a lot about the impact that Mm -hmm. attorneys have in people's lives. And for someone who have always felt the need to want to make a difference on this earth, whether it's through, you know, I've, I've always been someone who wanted to make a change, wanted to make a difference. I felt like my purpose on this planet was to do something beneficial to others. And so in law school, I learned how impactful we can be, not just through, um, you know, criminal defense or um, things of that nature, but through bankruptcy and debt relief. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to be a member of the bankruptcy clinic while in law school working on pro bono cases. And that's when, you know, you take it out of the textbook and school context to real life application and you see um, and you hear these people and their stories and how much the debt has been crushing them. They haven't been able to eat or sleep. It's a, a very psychologically tormenting kind of experience to be in debt. Mm-hmm. And so when you speak with them, you hear about their stories And you start telling them about the different ways that bankruptcy will be able to alleviate that. You kind of see the stress melting away. Their shoulders start to relax. They actually start to smile and feel a little bit of spark of joy again. And I've always wanted to practice what I considered happy law. I wanted there to be a happy story at the ending. So that's what made me want to get not only into the field of law, but specifically into the practice of bankruptcy. That's it. It's really interesting to hear you frame it that way. You know, a lot of people think of bankruptcy, they wouldn't think happy law. They would think, you know, oh my God, that's terrible, right? But I I know exactly what you're talking about is that when you're sitting there with somebody who, uh, I represented uh, 
lenders in foreclosure matters, and we we often were in mediation with with people, and you would just you would see just the devastation on people's faces when they know that they're losing their home or they're having to go through bankruptcy or something like that. And they tend to think that it can feel like the end of the world to the clients. And when you come at it as an attorney, you really have a different perspective. You, you, and you can offer them a lot of hope about life, not only going on after bankruptcy, but also have that burden relieved, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to be able to educate them about laws that are put in place for their protection. And so mm-hmm. when you reframe it that way, um, I always try to empower my clients and let them know that what they're doing is almost like, you know, they're the CEO of their own life. And this is a business decision that they're making to reorganize or to restructure. And so it's really great when you are able to, and I don't want to say sell it, but as a solo entrepreneur kind of attorney, I am essentially selling my services, but that's kind of like the spin that I like to put on my bankruptcy Uh services. Um, I really like to make it a a form of empowerment. I really like to let people know that it's here to protect you. Um, A lot of people feel almost guilty, right? About having accumulated this debt. And at the end of the day, Bad things happen to good people. A lot of these uh-huh. things are outside of their control. So uh-huh. it's, it's good to give them a sense of being able to get at least one aspect of their life back in track and back in control. Right, right. Have you always been someone who um, has had a desire to help people? Like, you know, when you were younger, you, you, I, 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 from what you said, it sounds like you didn't come into the idea to be an attorney until maybe you were in college and started thinking about, or, or did you, when you were younger, think, I'd like to be an attorney when I grow up? So when I was younger, I, I didn't really have a vision of I wanted to be an attorney. I honestly was very much into environmental issues growing up. Uh-huh. So I was always like, you know, finding stray birds and putting them back in their nests and um, <laughs> picking up trash at the beach, just always doing things to kind of like help the environment. Um, and so I was, I, I didn't want to go into a, a line of work where I would have to do like science or something like that, even though I really loved the idea of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just knew that two ways that I could help people would either be through medicine or through law. And, and I decided to go the law route. Right, right. So in addition to bankruptcy, your firm also offers real estate and estate planning services. I was curious, um, not only are you an attorney licensed in Florida, where you went to school and in Maryland, where you're from, but you're also licensed realtor in both places. Why did you feel it was important to do that? That's a really good question. And I think the importance of that is when I went into law school, I already had my real estate license. And when I came out of law school, which was right around 2010, there was not a lot of legal jobs available. Mm -hmm. So the good thing is I was able to rely on my real estate sales experience and I was doing real estate until I was able to find an opportunity in the legal field, which was with eventually with another solo attorney mm-hmm. as his associate. Mm-hmm. And another time that it came into play was 
I actually took like a five-year hiatus from practicing law and ended up doing real estate full-time. Mm-hmm. But it it really was pulling at me because I, I, I felt this urge to get back into bankruptcy and like get back into helping people in that way. And mm-hmm. so that's when I launched my virtual law office as my a true solo. Um, I did that in August of 2018 and mm-hmm. have been doing that ever since. Wow. So, so what, what compelled you to take a hiatus? Was it, was it because of the lack, kind of a lack of employment opportunities or was it for, a, a, you know, another reason that you just felt like you needed to go explore and figure out what it was that you wanted to do? Yeah. So it was a combination. It was just a shortage of job opportunities. I was living in South Florida at the time and there weren't really a lot of um, bankruptcy positions or areas of law that I actually was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it was just an uphill battle just trying to find, so if I did find a legal position, the pay wasn't really what I felt my value was, um, particularly after coming from a sales background where I was making a lot more money than they were offering these uh, first year associates. So right. that's basically what kind of made my decision. I knew that if I was going to do law, I would eventually have to do it for myself. Right, right. And so you started your own practice. What were your thoughts when you started your own practice? Was that a was that a kind of a scary and intimidating thing for you? Or did you feel really good, like, you know, that this was going to be something you could do? And It was definitely scary and intimidating, but I decided to do it scared anyway. And I'm so happy that I did mm-hmm. because it proved to me that I was able to do actually more than what I had envisioned for mm-hmm. that law practice. And as a um, young black woman lawyer, it's very challenging um, when you have to try to overcome a lot of barriers just from historic right. issues. And so it's very empowering when you have potential clients reach out to you and say, I'm very proud of you for being such a young person and you're, you have your own business and things like that. So a lot of people um, see you as a, a young attorney, but as a entrepreneurial or someone who's running their own practice, you don't have to worry about clients second guessing whether you're capable or if you have the skill set or the talent to get what they need done. They see that you've done this much so far, so they already automatically say, okay, you're qualified and I, I, w- I would like to work with you. So that's yeah. another benefit of kind of working for yourself and putting yourself out there in that way. Right, right. I'm sure you're, first of all, I'm sure you are also an inspiration to a lot of other young black women, young women attorneys who, you know, worry about whether or not they can step out and do such a thing. And and to see somebody like you, you know, that they can say, okay, she did it, so I can do it. I'm sure that's you know, that's something that's really going to be an inspiration. I certainly hope so. I I certainly do. And one of the things that I would like to do is to create some more diversity in the bankruptcy practice area, because Mm -hmm. there aren't a lot of um, attorneys who look like the clients. So it's um, a a mission that I'm on right now. Yeah. Do you, in the the bankruptcy bar, let's talk about that because you're in, uh, you're in Maryland. What, what town are you in in Maryland? What area? I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland. 
Mm-hmm. And, and also the, in the Southern District of Florida. Right. Okay. So you, are you, do you practice in both then? I do. Okay. So that, that's got to be a real challenge and really interesting to work in two different states. So talk to me about how you, how you manage to do that. So that's where, I guess that's kind of like the silver lining that came with the COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. The bankruptcy um, filings and everything like that were, uh, the majority of, of it was already done electronically prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. But since COVID, they've moved all of the hearings and meetings to Zoom or telephonic. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm able to now practice in both districts without necessarily needing local counsel um, due to technology. Right, right. Do you see that changing? Uh, have you heard any news about that changing in so the coming months as people are trying to go back? I know that the um, state courts are kind of resuming back to business as usual and as far as face-to-face but for the bankruptcy courts, I've so far what I'm hearing is that these Zoom and virtual conferences are going to be in place indefinitely and that they've even done things to modify the courtrooms, et cetera, to have everything be electronic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's looking pretty optimistic, at least for the bankruptcy practice, that it'll be virtual for quite some time to come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be a huge boon for a lot of law firms to be able to function that way. Um, and it's going to be a big help to clients, you know. Yeah. Do you tell me about your decision to, I mean, obviously the pandemic has caused a lot of people to, you know, shift to virtual and some reluctantly. But this was something that you did when you started your firm. You, you said, I'm going to create a virtual law firm, right? Yes. And, and so the reason well, why is because... Um, I was actually looking for remote attorney positions online and they're just, at the time they, they were non-existent. So I just decided to create one. Create one and, for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And, and at first it was um, a little bit hesitation from the clients because they were weary of maybe be, being scammed from online businesses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then when you start doing things like, getting reviews and other forms of social proof, um, Mm -hmm. doing things like putting your name and your face out there so that they know you're a real person and you're a legitimate business. That's where, um, you know, they, they feel more confident and obviously offering things like virtual consultations and virtual meetings so that we're face to face, at least through zoom helps as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you, use, what kind of marketing tactics or strategy did you use to get the word out about your business and start getting clients to take notice and pay attention? I started by just being more active on social media first. So um, Instagram and Facebook and mm-hmm. um, just being more visible and then once I started getting some traction on social media, I was able to then develop a budget for paid advertising. Mm-hmm. And so once I started the paid advertising on Google really is where I started seeing the biggest opportunity to scale. And that's where the business start, really started to develop. 
Wonderful. The volume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So you not only are you working virtually, but you are using virtual means as a, as a means of marketing and growing your business instead of the traditional sort of meeting in person kind of thing and developing your network locally. Right. So the virtual um, office has to be virtual on all fronts, the marketing, the meetings, um, the way that you conduct business. And over time, you'll be able to achieve that. And I, I wanted to actually start teaching other bankruptcy lawyers how to transition from what they're doing to completely virtual. And that way they would be able to delegate more things. What keeps a business running is automation, delegation, and just really putting more efforts into marketing. That's what really helps to keep the virtual office going. Right, right, right. And so now you have uh, a couple of team members working with you. Looks like uh, case managers. So why don't you tell me about those positions and kind of when you brought them on? So funny story, they are actually my, my two best friends. One I actually have known since middle school and the other I've known since high school and we were all on the same cheerleading team together. So we've known each other for many, many years. And I was, you know, working truly solo. And once I started getting more traction on social media, I started getting more inquiries. The caseload was just more than what I could handle. Mm-hmm. So I brought on Mercedes at first. And um, she was really great in navigating clients. And they, they're really the people persons. They they are the face of the company. That's who the clients will interact with first. And mm-hmm. they, they're really helpful as far as that goes. And then I brought in Kelly maybe about six months later. And they are my only in-person like people. The rest of the office is all virtual. And I have ladies in Texas all the way to the Philippines. So it's really interesting um, how diverse your office can be once you become virtual. Yeah. How, so how big would you say your team is? I currently have a team of seven virtual assistants and two women that work with me. So nine altogether. Wow. So the ones that are local, are they, do they interact face to face with clients then in an in-person way or, or is there like an office set up or are they? There is an office set up and we really um, don't, interact with clients face to face. We have an office, it's more so like for compliance as far mm-hmm. as you know, yeah, but we haven't we haven't been there since March of last year. Uh, yeah. 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 And so this in uh, so it's interesting. I want to talk about your virtual team because I think that can be a challenge for a lot of women law firm owners to kind of think to themselves, you know, how can I really control what happens um, confidentiality-wise and what happens, you know, with a company culture and, and building my firm if I'm working with a team of virtual assistants all over the world, how does that work? So how did that work for you and, and kind of what was your thinking when you started down this path? So that's definitely um, legitimate concerns to have and m- most of the reasons why I was so hesitant of getting to know or explore the virtual admin workspace. So the answer to that, at least for my office, the work that I delegate to the 
virtual admins are tasks that are repeated, and they're usually something that has to do with operations more so than like the practice of law. So something like following up with people, if a potential lead comes in through an online website, then they follow up with them. They do, they do things like calendar management. They will send reminder text messages or give reminder calls if we're waiting for documents. So they do things that are really not necessarily going to get into non-public private information, like, for example, my client's social security numbers or something like that. Uh-huh. So that's where you have to – what I ended up doing was I took a week, a, a full five days of a work week, and I wrote down every single task that I did for those five days. Uh-huh. And any task that I did that I had to repeat, I looked at it again to see, is this something that I can automate or is this something that I can delegate? And the things that I found I was doing a lot that I could automate were done by doing things like setting up text messages or setting up email drips. Mm-hmm. And those were usually for like frequently asked questions or for the next steps. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the um, VAs go, they're very helpful because what I, I, I didn't realize how much I was doing until I hired other people. And I was like, wow, it takes eight other people to do what I was doing by myself. Right, right. <laughs> right. I know. It's so shocking, right? Yeah. And it's, like, it's just like, really... I need to give myself a raise now. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So it, it really gives you an appreciation for, for your own abilities because you're like, mm-hmm. wow, I, I was really doing this. But I wouldn't be able to sustain that without getting burnt out like immediately. Yeah. So I, I, how did you decide who to use for a VA? Like, did you go through a service or did you, you know, go to something like Upwork or Fiverr and find your VAs or did you search in social groups or how did you go about finding your VAs? Because I think there's a lot of, there are good VAs and there are bad VAs. And there are a lot of people who kind of have trust issues around how am I going to find good VAs to help me? And that's yeah. quite a few to have have so many. That's also it. kind of intimidating. It's just so many out there. You're like, who do I even pick from? But yeah, for me, I a lady that I went to school with, her name is Erica. She actually started a virtual admin company mm-hmm. called Annie Admin. And I actually started with them first. Mm-hmm. And once I started feeling them out and seeing what type of things I could do with them, I started getting open to finding the same service at a lower rate. So when you see uh, Upwork is a website that I'm particularly fond of. They have a lot mm-hmm. of VAs who work internationally at maybe 4 to $8 an hour. They're very, mm-hmm. very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And when you do the research, I, I, I felt weird. I was like, $4 an hour, that's like, that's nothing. And then it turns out with conversion when the money in other countries it is about equivalent to you know 15 17 dollars an hour here so i mm-hmm. after i realized that i didn't feel so bad <laughs> right 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 that's a good point that's a very good point and it's interesting that you have so many VAs because i think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is kind of thinking i'm going to get a va and they're going to handle all these different things for me and you really, it sounds like you really broke it down into, you know, 
this VA is going to do this and this VA is going to do that. And what made you just come to that conclusion? I decided that I wanted specialists as opposed to generalists. Mm -hmm. And in terms of VAs, a specialist means you do one thing and one thing only. You're extremely good at that. Mm -hmm. And so I broke down my process. So I have one VA. All she does is audit files. And so what that means is she'll look to make sure we have all the documents that we need. She'll, she'll, all, that's all she does. She just audits files, audits files, uh -huh. audits files. I have another VA. All she does is lead follow-up. So that's all she does. I have another VA. All she does is manage my inbox. So it's uh -huh. something that has to be broken down and made into very simple instructions and prefer preferably an action that's repeated and so it becomes a habit for them. And right. the one thing about the VA, in order to do it effectively, you have to be aware of your own processes and your systems. And oftentimes for solos, all of those things are in your brain. So right. you have to really extract it and really, really break it down, like step one, step two, step three. I feel like it's better to do that first and then hire a VA because mm -hmm. then you'll know what to delegate to them. Right, right. I think you're absolutely right. That makes so much sense. And uh, and, and that is the biggest challenge with people even hiring, whether you're delegating to a VA or to an employee. Right. <laughs> where the relationship breaks down is usually with us because we don't take the time to sit and say, okay, you know, I just do these things on automatic. I don't think about it. And we don't sit down and write out exactly what we're doing, you know, or we skip stuff. It's like when my mother-in-law tries to share, who is a gourmet cook, tries to share a recipe, <laughs> she always forgets to tell you, you know, the one or two little tweaky things that she does to make it turn out awesome. Right. She, she forgets. <laughs> I don't know if she forgets or if this is just her <laughs> way of protecting her recipes. But so, you know, it, it, that is that is so true in delegating. So I want to ask you, I want to go into a little more detail about this VA uh, with regard to your email management. And I want to ask you about that specifically because I know so many women law firm owners who that is one of the things they really struggle with is email management, especially if they have a team and they're getting copied on everything and because they kind of want to be in the loop, but at the same time, they're wanting their team to handle things. And there's also, again, a trust issue around somebody managing your email. So can you go into a little more detail about how what kinds of things your VA does for you with regard to managing your email and how that works? Yes. So the inbox, well, the first thing what we do is we use a software where I share my passwords, but they're not able to see my passwords. Yeah. So something inbox. like LastPass or something? Yeah. LastPass. That's what I use. And mm -hmm. then I use um, Gmail filters. We have, we use Google Suite. Um, so you, you have filters and I've, I've, and that's another thing when you have the VAs, you got to put these processes in place. It's really important. So I have the filter and one filter will be like client text messages. So all the client text messages that come in, go to a certain folder, they are different colors. Uh -huh. And I even put the VA's name. So it'll be like text messages, Kyla. And so all those emails go straight to her. Right. And so you use the filters to base, and again, it'll be based on repetition. So for example, anytime I get like a discharge order, 
I have a template email that I send to my client congratulating them for getting their discharge, et cetera. So she'll know to get the discharge order to attach it to the email. That's a canned response. So it's really important to have your templates and everything in place so that all they have to do is point and click. You want to make it as simple as possible for your VA to execute whatever task it is. Right, right. That that makes so much sense. Makes, and then, and again, do you have any concern with regard to, I'm sure you have people sign confidentiality agreements and stuff like that. Do you have any concern with regard to somebody accessing your email? I know I was speaking with an attorney recently who was saying, well, you know, part of it is, is that I have personal emails and I have business emails kind of all coming to me. And I don't know if I want anybody on my team looking in my, all my emails. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a good concern, but mm -hmm. for this particular inbox, it's strictly business correspondence. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, it, and that's another thing. If you have a VA, you've really got to segment and like separate things. Right. Right. So that really writing things down, really creating that system is the first step to do that successfully. And I'm sure you didn't start out at the beginning with, you know, nine people. It probably took you a little while to sort of add to, add to, as you were discovering, okay, I've done, now I've outsourced this, now I can outsource this, and now I can outsource right. that. Or did you kind of just sit down all at once and go, okay, here's the plan? No, I wish I was that organized. <laughs> I could execute that far in the future, but I, I'm not blessed with that kind of vision. I kind of have to solve the problem as I go along. So what, what it is for me, it's when I start feeling pressure or stress. Um, when I start feeling pressure about something, I'm like, okay, who can I delegate this to or what can I do to um, be more proactive so I, that I don't feel this kind of like nagging stress. Mm -hmm. And so over time, you, you hire someone, you see how they do. And I, uh, to be honest with you, I've been very impressed with the talent that I've been able to find. Mm -hmm. I have a VA who's um, studying for her JD mm -hmm. in the Philippines. So these are, you know, they, they're very intelligent, they're very practical, and they're actually very experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and some of, some of the things, the tasks, they, they actually do better than I, I can myself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once you kind of find that, it, it's um, a relief, and then you, you kind of just want more of it. And so, again, it's over time, and as you hire more and you tweak your systems, you kind of see what area may need additional hands-on, and yeah. then you just give them like that. But it's really important. The training part is really important, and it can be as simple as recording a Zoom or uh -huh. um, recording, I think Loom is the other yeah. website that people use. And when you're walking it, walking them through it and talking them through it and then they'll have that recording and they can go back to it to refer to it as opposed to asking you questions over and over again. Right, right. Are there certain things you look for when you are hiring a VA, when you're using something like Upwork to, to find a VA? Is there, you, I'm sure you probably have a hiring process too. Yes, so I basically post my job on Upwork and once when you're on Upwork, you have different filter options. Mm -hmm. I pretty much look for people who have what, what people are looking for in me. So people who have good ratings, people who have good um, succession of, or completion rates. They disclose mm -hmm. all of these things on their individual profiles. Mm -hmm. I also have an interview process. And so you can tell, well, at least I can, 
when you're working, when you're interviewing someone, if it's going to be a good fit or not. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know some people are maybe concerned with the VA having an accent or something like that. You can even select a filter where they speak fluent or native English if you if that's a concern for you. So um, there's definitely I think Upwork is one of the better platforms because of how much of, of a filter you can use to find exactly who you're looking for. Uh-huh. But again, that's just your individual preference. I kind of stumbled across it. I initially went to Fiverr, but uh-huh. it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. It, Fiverr is more like individual gigs. I was looking for someone more long-term. Right, right. Yeah, I recommend Upwork as a tremendous source to a lot of my clients for finding you know, everything from somebody to handle their marketing to, like you said, somebody handling your email or your schedule or whatever, or copywriters, you know, all kinds of things like that. So, yeah, great. so uh, with regard to your marketing, then I assume you have VAs that are kind of helping you with that as well. No, actually, I do all my own marketing. Do you really? I so, do. And that, that's actually what I enjoy doing. That's what I went to school for. Um, I got, I'm, I'm a marketing major. And I think that's so that's what's fun to me. So I enjoy yeah. doing it. Um, but eventually, yes, I think I will hire uh, someone to take over that. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's one of those things. As you get busier, as you get busier, 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 you got to start making decisions about what you do. But then again, you know, hiring other people to do some of the legal work can be an option as well. So yes, you know, as you grow and start adding attorneys. What, I also see that you are, you know, I mentioned in the intro that you are, uh, were invited to be in the National Black Lawyers Top 40 Under 40 organization. Tell me a little bit more about that organization and how that's been a benefit for you. So that's going to be um, part of the National Bar Association, which is the historically African-American bar. Uh And I was nominated I think what got me on their radar was the pro bono work that I've been doing here Mm -hmm. in Maryland. I was actually awarded through the Maryland Volunteer Lawyer Service their uh, COVID-19 Response Award Mm -hmm. because at the the height of the pandemic, I took on, I think it was like 10 pro bono cases from there, from the MVLS. And so ever since then, I've been seeing, um, you know, a lot more people recognizing what I'm doing. So shortly thereafter is when I got the nomination from the National Black Lawyers Association to be a member of their top 40 under 40. And I was super excited for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been beneficial. I, I'm able to, I'm now in their directory. And so if anyone's looking for a lawyer online, my name pops up for that. And so it's been helpful. Nice, nice. I'm sure you probably are meeting other people in the organization too, you know, long term that will be. Um, oh, yeah. They they have like trainings that they offer to their members as well as uh, resources. And they have a website that has a lot of really good information on it. So it's been helpful. Oh, great. Great. So before we wrap up today, can you share with me like one of the kind of a a gold nugget or something that as a lesson that you've learned along the way that you think might be helpful to other women law firm owners or or people who are aspiring to open their practice, you know, in the coming years? I think one thing that I would recommend to any aspiring or current woman lawyer who wants to go into business for herself 
is to focus on being client-centric and really enjoying the work that she does so that she can look forward to doing it day after day. It's Mm. really important to be in love with what you do so that it has that long-term longevity for you. Yeah, that is so that is so critical and such a great idea to put forth. And I think it's something that oftentimes we ignore. We think, you know, we get sort of started down a path, maybe because it's the job we were in before and we know it well. So we start a firm based around, you know, a certain practice area and it becomes the, you know, after the initial sort of glow wears off from starting a your own firm, it can become drudgery if you really don't enjoy it. And it makes it hard to do it long-term. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. Thanks so much for sharing that. Tell us how we can uh, get in touch with you, connect with you, Shireen, if we want to, or find you on the internet. Absolutely. You can find me on social media, Facebook and Instagram, at Attorney Shireen, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S-H-E-E-R-E-E-N. And I'm online. My website is middletonlegal.net. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks. Thanks for being here today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I've learned a lot. And I think a lot of other women law firm owners are going to be loving this podcast episode. So I appreciate it, Shereen. Thank you again for having me so much. I absolutely feel honored to be a guest on your podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash lead. Lead is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the lead.